0: We welcome you to the rest podcast the messages you will hear have been taken from sessions from past rest conferences we pray that god will use this message to encourage and strengthen you in your walk with the lord and your ministry for him i am not an evangelist i i do the work of an evangelist a whole lot of weeks of the year but i don't consider myself an evangelist i will always consider myself a pastor uh, it is what I absolutely loved, uh, still love it. I still love trying to be a pastor to pastors. I, I love conversations with preachers. I love, I love just trying to share uh, experience with them and try to be an encouragement to them. I'm saying all this in, in preparation for what I'm going to share with you today. I am an, I'm an incredibly practical guy. And what I want to share with you today is really an outgrowth of many, many years of pastoring um, and, and just the realization of some things practically that will help us get to the end line of where the Lord wants us to get to in our, in our pastoral ministries. How many are senior pastors here today? Can I see your hands? I don't mean senior in years, but in your senior pastors. How many are assistant pastors? How many assistant pastors are here today? And how many of you assistant pastors or pastors also do uh, work both in the church and in a Christian school? Any of those that are here? Yes, we understand life, don't we? (laughs) Those of us that did that and and still do. Uh, One of the things that I've come to understand in my life, and I pastored a church that was, I, in my estimation, a great church. Um, it, it had large ministries and many, many things that that uh, was just a, pre- a privilege to be a part of. But But here's the essence of what I am, what I was, what the Lord taught me, and one of the things that I constantly try to keep in focus, I am a servant. On my best day, I am a servant. When the auditorium was full, I was a servant. On the days that the offerings were off the scale good, I am a servant. Uh, When the school grew, I am a servant. When everybody told me, good message, pastor, I am a servant. When I go home, my wife says to me, you are a servant. (laughs) I really think it is important that we keep that perspective. And uh, we are everything. I'm going to deal with this in a couple of messages, but um, we are everything from stewards, which is the highest form of a servant. We're stewards of the gospel. And uh, we're going to give an account personally to the Lord for our stewardship. But, But may we also remember that not only are we the highest servant, we're the lowest servant. We are the hooperateo, we are the under-rower of the ship. And, and we are the servants who are, who are uh, chained to a chair uh, underneath the deck of the ship, and we row at the master's cadence, and we just row and row. And if we die, we're unhooked, tossed overboard, and another slave put in our place. You say, well, that's not very uh, uh, kind to us. No, but it is who we are. And we need to remember who we are as servants. So I invite you to turn with me to John chapter 13. And and here's what I want to do today. It will not be thrilling. And quite frankly, it, it might even be a little insulting. And I don't mean to be insulting. What I am doing today is I'm giving you my perspective on what I needed to maintain ministry for 47 years in a pastoral setting uh, even unto now. So John chapter 13, very familiar passage. We'll use it as our jumping off place. Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then your Lord and master have washed your feet, ye ought also to wash one another's feet. That's an amazing statement. The Lord of glory, creator God, kneeled before Judas and Peter and John. Sometimes we're hard on Judas and Peter, but can I remind you that all of them forsook him and fled? And he kneeled before them and washed their feet For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. And if ye know these things, happier ye if ye do them. I'm talking to a room full of servants today. And I want you to know that being a servant is not always pleasant, being a servant is not always easy, but being a servant is what God has called us to be for all of our lives. And my question and what I hope to answer today is, how do we do that for a lifetime? Have you ever laid down in bed and said to yourself, how do I do this again tomorrow? And again next week, how do I do this and and be able to smile and mean it? How do I do this and have joy in my heart? I, I don't want to be miserable in what God has called me to be. Did you know that God did not call you to be miserable? I am miserable sometimes, but God did not call me to be miserable in my service to Him. That's what I want to talk about. Let's ask God to give leadership. Lord, we thank you for this day, thank you for this opportunity, and Lord, I pray that these things would just simply um, maybe touch a nerve in our hearts, help us to be very intentional about how we conduct ourselves as servants to people who sometimes appreciate our service, who oftentimes don't even notice our service, and sometimes criticize our service. Lord, we are your servants and their servants. And so help us to see how we can do it for a lifetime, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I got saved in February of 1975. I was in Bible college in September of 1975. I didn't know anything. Wasn't raised in a Christian home. Um, My father got saved when soul winners went by his door at 63 years old and came in and shared the gospel with him, he got saved. Uh, my mom uh, followed along. My brother got saved. I got saved. I, I did not know Bible stories. I didn't know anything. I, I mean, I knew who Jesus was, and I had been to Sunday school once or twice at my grandmother's request and so on. But, but from February of getting saved to being in Bible college, in september it was culture shock for me and i'll never forget sitting in my first bible college chapel and and i am thinking i have now arrived in the promised land i'm there this is going to be the greatest life that any man could ever live amongst other men training for ministry being trained by bible college people i mean i was impressed with where i was and the college president a man named G.B. Vick yes that's how old I am if you recognize that name G.B. Vick gets up and says to us doesn't even introduce his message just says I'm here to tell you this the easiest place to backslide is Bible college. Man I was crushed. I didn't even know what backslide meant. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, You know, I took that under advisement, and and here's the truth. 47 years of ministry later, he was right. One of the easiest places to develop a cold heart for God is right in the middle of ministry. And if we're not careful, that can happen to us. And listen, we'll continue to go through the motions But so often we can go through the motions without a real passionate heart for the Lord. A lot of reasons that we can grow cold. In the ministry, we're the object of some of Satan's most concentrated and vicious attacks. Well, if you want to take a lot of people out, take the leader out. In the ministry, we're busier than most and perhaps rewarded financially the least. One of the questions that I'm asked by preachers almost weekly, how, how do I get my people to pay me? How, how, I, I don't know, how how did you do that at Heritage? How did you budget this and how did you budget that? I'm not giving that answer right now. I'm just saying that it's a question because they're not paid much. In the ministry, We almost always looks spiritual even if our hearts are away from God. Hey, I know how to do this. I know how to write a sermon. I know where to get three points. I can even find a poem. And I can go through it, and to be honest with you, I've done it long enough that I know where to raise my voice, where to lower my voice. I know how to look like what is not going on in my heart. One of the things that I always remind myself of, did you know that from the time, and I'm not accusing anyone of deep sin of adultery, but when David committed his awful sin with Bathsheba, leading to his conspiracy against Uriah and hiding that, do you know it was a full year before he was confronted by Nathan and he got right with God? And for that full year, he continued being king. He continued singing his psalms. He continued going to the tabernacle. He continued all the things. He went through the motions, even though inside his heart was just being ripped. And he wasn't where he needed to be and wasn't where he was supposed to be. In the ministry, we're expected to give and to give even when we are depleted then we are still supposed to give some more. And I'm just saying that it's it's real easy to get to the place where we do what we know we should do, but we don't do it with the spirit that we ought to have as we do it. And, And how do we do that for a lifetime? How do you you maintain the right spirit that you're supposed to have? You know what God has called you to do. You know what God has given you to do. And you don't want to do it with a heart that you know is bitter against the Lord. You, You don't want to be bitter about being God's servant, following in his steps. But how do you do it for a lifetime? Can I give you five or six things that the Lord helped me with? And, and I'm not trying to be insulting. I know who I'm talking to, okay? Here's number one. Maintain meaningful personal devotions. If I have learned anything in my life, it better be meaningful personal devotions. Emphasis is not on personal devotions. Emphasis is not on Bible reading. Emphasis on meaningful. Meaningful. Religious activity can never truly be a substitute for a spiritual heart. And I know that every one of us is busy with spiritually oriented material every day of our life. We teach the Bible. We teach Sunday school. We have to study to teach that. We preach three, four times a week and we have to study for those sermons and to preach those sermons. Our textbooks have biblical references in them. We have scripture memory programs. We serve in church ministries. We are all about it. But please realize that serving in Christian activities is not the same thing as a sanctifying and edifying personal walk with the Lord. They say, Preacher... You're talking to a crowd of preachers who know they ought to have devotions. I'm talking to a crowd of preachers who can get so overwhelmed with what they have to do that they can check a box without having meaningful time with the Lord. Can I share something? Look at Psalm 63 for a moment with me. Psalm 63. And I don't know if your Psalm or if your Bible has descriptions of the Psalms. But but my Bible says that Psalm 63 is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, <laughs> David spent a significant portion of his life in the wilderness, that's for sure. Uh, he, he had a, a, a life that was filled with difficulties. But this one in particular, I believe, was when Absalom had rebelled against him and showed up in the city with an army that was ready to kill David and uh, capture the throne, David had a little bit of warning and had escaped with uh, his wives and his children down out of the city over Brook Kedron and was in the wilderness. And and, uh, if it were following uh, the habit of the day, David would have isolated himself from his family, hoping that if Absalom did come, he would find David before he found his wives and children they could escape and so in my mind's eye where i see david is having been run out of the palace having been separated from his armies having been separated from his families unexpectedly no plan on how to deal with this and he finds himself under a scrub out in the the wilderness maybe in a cave out in the wilderness and and I'm just telling you, if there was ever a day where David could have been excused from personal devotions, it would have been today. He had to figure out how to feed his family. He had to figure out how to defeat Absalom. He had to figure out how to regain the palace and the city and, and the, set up the communication. All that had to go on. Now, I know you're not busy. I, I know that your day starts with three hours to be committed to personal worship with the Lord. And, and I know that really nothing is pressing in your schedule till noon, correct? Well, that's just not true for any of us at any stage of life, is it? But I want you to notice David in verse 1. O oh God, Thou art my God. There's that phrase again. David uses that so often. O oh God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. David, in perhaps one of the greatest crises that his life would ever face, purposed this, that his first priority over every physical responsibility he had for that day was to meet with the Lord. You know what David knew? David knew that there was never a day without the Lord that he was smart enough to be king of Israel. David knew there was never a day when he was a great enough strategist to prepare the armies without God's help. You know what I have figured out? There was never a day when I was glib enough and winsome enough and smart enough to be the pastor of Heritage Baptist Church without God's help and God's direction. Brother Cormican can vouch for this. Brother Dent can vouch for this. I really believe what I'm about to say. On any given Sunday morning, if you walked into the, auditorium of Heritage Baptist Church, I was the least educated man in the room. I I didn't know. And when we come to the place in our ministry where we are even willing to cut that walk with the Lord in any way short, when, when we think that for one day or one week or one month We can do it without His guidance. We are making the greatest mistakes of our ministry. There's not one day that we can do it without God's help and God's direction. And again, I'm not talking about reading ten chapters. I'm not talking about reading daily bread or Baptist bread or whatever it is. I'm talking about meaningful time with the Lord where the Lord, I give the Lord the right to tell me I'm wrong, the right to show me the right way to go. I give God the time to deal with me about me. At Heritage, all of our men worked, most of our men worked in D.C., Pentagon or another alphabet agency up there and we were 20 miles from the Washington Monument, if if they had to be at their desk at 8 o'clock, they had to be on I-95 at 5.15 in the morning to go those 20 miles, which means they had to get up at 4.30. And I would preach like this, and I'd say, guys, you need to walk with God, you need to walk with God. And many times they would come to me and say, hey, preacher." I don't know if you know this, but we don't work and live next door. We, we go into D.C. I get up at 4.30. Are you saying to me that I have to get up earlier than 4.30 to meet with God? And you know, not arrogantly and not with any sense of joy. You know what my answer to him was? Yes. I'm saying you have to get up earlier. I'm saying that on no day are you able of yourself to do this? And in no season of busy ministry and on, in no season of your life are you smart enough to do this without God? And if you're going to do this for a lifetime, if, if you're going to be successful not in the sense of building a program but in pastoring and leading people and building lives, you cannot do it without a meaningful time every day meeting with the lord i love what david says in verse 8 my soul followeth hard after thee that word followeth those words followeth hard how do you follow hard after god you know you grit your teeth and follow hard if and again i i do not know the ancient languages but I have a strong concordance and it makes me extremely dangerous, all right? You look that word; those words up, followeth hard, you'll find that it's the same word that God uses in Genesis chapter 2 when He's talking about a man and his wife. And He says that a man and a wife will cleave to each other. David is saying, I cleave to the Lord. I think in my relationship with my wife, I I know some things. I know that nothing comes before my wife. No earthly relationship comes before my wife. I know that I set aside things that I love to do. I will even set aside things that I need to do if my wife has need of me. I always put her first, and, and I'm always there for her, and she is primary in my life. And just as I cleave to my wife, there has to be a cleaving to the Lord. And I'm telling you, there is no meeting more important than my meeting with the Lord. There is no schedule that is more important than my time with the Lord. And it has got to be primary and it's got to to be seen to, if you will, all of our lives. Here's number two maximize the benefit of preaching. In serving the Lord on a staff especially, there's a way that we can go weeks without hearing preaching. That's why I had some of you assistant pastors raise your hands. Your job is the hardest job on earth. There's no definition to it. You just do whatever the pastor says you're supposed to do. And sometimes that job puts you in children's church Sometimes that job puts you uh, overseeing some other ministry while the preaching is going on. It is amazing to me how often a staff member can be weeks and not in a preaching meeting, not in a preaching service. I would go so far as to say this as well. It amazes me how, how long and how often a preacher can go without hearing preaching except his own. Now, I personally love my preaching. (laughs) But can I be honest with you? You know what I find about my preaching? It's always from my perspective. Sometimes I'll look at my sermons and I'll say, well, I kind of said that over here from a different passage. And I kind of had that idea seven times. And I kind of, now, it's all good preaching okay? But you know what I need sometimes? I I need somebody else's passion and perspective from the Word of God to rock my heart. And, And men, I don't know how you get it. Staff members, be in services and listen to preaching. And preachers, Find a way to hear other preachers preach. I think that's the value of this meeting. The value of this meeting is not the name of the guy preaching. The value of this preaching is the Word of God opened up from a different perspective for your life, for my life. Titus tells us that God manifests His Word through preaching. I have a particular habit. I like to walk. It's the only thing I can do without popping tendons. And so when I take a walk, I don't think I'm giving you anything earth-shattering here. But when I take a walk, I listen to preaching. And it's amazing. I've listened to a lot of your preaching. I listen to my son's preaching. I'm not often able to be there on a Sunday. And and he he does a masterful job with the Scripture. And, and what a blessing it is to hear old preachers preach and young preachers preach and, and preachers in large ministries preach and preachers in small ministries preach and gather all those perspectives of men who love God and love His Word and they speak into my life and into my heart and it changes me. And by the way, they don't have to be camp meeting preachers. And it's okay if they're monotone preachers. And quite frankly, it's okay if they get pretty excited sometimes. I just like all preaching that comes from this book, and it benefits me. And you and I as pastors, with all of our studying and all of our preparation, we've got to break out sometimes of our perspective. It doesn't mean that we're wrong. It doesn't mean that we don't feed people. It just means that sometimes another voice is essential for our lives. And so I just urge you to maximize the impact of preaching in your life. Here's number three. From my life, what did I find in my life that I needed to do to be able to do this for now 47 years and hopefully however many the Lord gives me, I want to I serve the Lord? How do I do that with joy and love being a servant? Make time for ministry to the lost. Make time for ministry to the lost. We all know that we should be faithful and soul winning. I understand that. But actually I'm saying more than that. I'm saying that the members of a church staff, pastor, assistant pastor, and so on, if we're not careful, we deal primarily with people who profess to know Christ and often, our dealing with them is problem-oriented. Maybe they've got a spiritual need, a spiritual problem. Maybe they've got a physical need, a, a physical problem. But everything we do with them is oriented around a problem. If you're on a school staff, whoo, you've got the, the big one because you're dealing with people about their children. <laughs> and there is no place people are more blind than concerning their children. And and we had a large school, and I did a lot of counseling and and all of this, and we had a large staff. And before very long, if you're not careful, you become jaded about ministry. You start to feel like your job is to be the conflict resolution expert in your church. And and the day is almost... uh, Okay, I've got this meeting with this disgruntled staff member. I've got this meeting with that parent about their child. I've got this meeting with this person with this problem, and it's the 14th meeting for that problem. Now, you would never react like that, but I did. (laughs) And if you're not careful, that becomes your ministry. Listen, pastorally speaking, I love helping people, and I mean it, I love helping people. But spiritually speaking, it will dry your gut out. If all you ever do is usher people into your office, hear their problem, try to solve their problem, and realize next week you have to hear that problem again and help them solve that problem again. And the week after that, am I overdoing it? Here's a realization that I made. Everybody that came to my office needed something from me. I'm a pastor, that's good, that's okay. But you know what I realized I needed in my life? I needed to talk with people who not only didn't need me, they didn't want anything I had. You see, if you're not careful, you can become a jaded master. And what you need to do is get out of that office and go find you a Lydia. Go find a Philippian jailer. I don't want to go to jail. Well, let God decide that. Go find you a Nicodemus. Go find a Zacchaeus. Go find somebody that doesn't have spiritual problems because they don't even know the Lord. Now, they've got spiritual problems, but I'm just saying there is something refreshing about dealing with someone about their soul instead of their conflict with another staff member, or instead of their conflict with a teacher, or instead of their conflict in this or that or the other. Go tell somebody about Jesus and watch them get saved so that five years from now they can have a conflict with a staff member. See, that's how jaded you get, okay? I'm just saying, guys, I know our schedules. Honestly, by the time you prepare a Sunday school lesson, Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then you meet with staff, and then you meet with your people, and then you be a dad, and then you be a husband, I get it. But it is essential for you. Make time to meet with the Lord in a meaningful way. It is essential to you that you make time to hear the perspective of the Word of God from some other person than yourself. Make time to go tell somebody about Jesus and in the simplicity of the gospel see somebody just open up to truth that they had never heard before. Here's number four. Move away from a harsh and critical spirit to a grateful spirit. Move away from a harsh and critical spirit to a grateful spirit. In ministry, we deal with problems. However, may we always remember that we have problems. We are a problem. You and I must love and invest in people believing that God can help them like He helped us. Have you been helped? I remember when I got saved. (laughs) I wasn't the most wicked man on earth, but I was such a jerk. And to see where God takes you from and and moves you to. Now, I've been saved a long time, but can I profess to you that standing before you today, I've got problems. God is not done with me yet, and I know God is not done with you yet either. And we have got to remember that that we are on this journey not only as pastors, we're on this journey as people. And God is building us. God is helping us. God is revealing us to ourselves. And and you know what I have hope in my life? I have hope in my life that I'm growing, that I'm learning, that I'm becoming, that, that honestly I'm a better man today than I was yesterday and and the day before. And, And here's the important thing. I want to have that hope for the people that I minister to. I don't want to, in my heart and my mind, just consign them to they're hopeless. Brother Joel and I just had a conversation a minute ago about two people that we know, and they're not as perfect as us. And and we were talking and and, and you know we, we were expressing to each other I don't want to say this, I don't want to say that, but but you know, here's what they need to do, here's how they need to grow. And and you know what the end of that conversation is? They can. They can grow, they can change, they can become. My my wife enjoys watching HGTV. Now, less and less, because they have gone woke and everybody has to be some trans or some other couple, I don't know. But, but at any rate, I have been to the Holy Land, I've been to Waco, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I watch those shows. I, I want to confess to you, I have zero ability to build anything, nothing. But I am good at demolition. I am good at demo day. And you show me something that you want torn up, I can tear it up and then let somebody else rebuild it. I'm telling you, it is easy to tear people down. It is easy to see what should be done, and what's wrong in their life. I, I made mention last night, and I'll hasten through this, but I, I am a pessimist by nature. I wish I wasn't, but I am. Show me that cup with half a cup of water, and I will describe to you how that whoever has that in their hands is going to die of thirst. All right, I mean, I can just show you what's wrong. But goodness gracious, we serve a God who can take what's wrong and make it right. We serve a God who can take ashes and make beauty come from those things. And we have got to have that frame of reference with the people that we pastor. Don't give up on people. Don't consign them to being unusable. I'm telling you, they're worth the investment of our time and our effort. Here's last. Marvel at the privilege you have to serve the Lord every day. Have you met you? Honestly, have you met you? How does the Lord use us? It is amazing, isn't it? I know me. And that God would give me any privilege, any opportunity, any any ministry, it's amazing to me. Don't ever get over the fact that God in His mercy and grace has made you usable in the way that you are. And instead of every day waking up with a sense of dread about ministry, wake up with an absolute amazement that God would ever allow you to do what He's allowing you to do. Several years ago, can I tell you about one of my surgeries, and then I'm done. I've, I've had a lot of them, and I'm, I'm certainly willing to share them with you afterwards. But I had to have a knee replacement surgery. I lost my left knee, had a total collapse. I couldn't walk. I mean, I walked with a cane, and uh, just about in every step was just pain. And I truly love to walk. I mean it. My wife and I walk in the evening together. We love to walk, and I lost that ability. And I can remember praying to the Lord, Lord, I, this is, I, I just want to enjoy my walk again. And, and Lord, if there's any way that I could do that, I, I pray you'd do that. And, and I remember when I had that knee replacement surgery and the doctor told me, he said, now it's going to be two weeks that are really tough, but then you're going to be able to walk again. And you know what? I, it's true. I did, and I do. And I remember the first time that I walked without a cane and uh, almost without pain. And taking that walk, I was praising the Lord every step of that walk. Lord, thank you for allowing me to walk and, and to enjoy this again. And I'm listening to preaching and just enjoying it. And, and I remember three months into that, I forgot how much I loved being able to walk again. And it became common to me again. Hey. I'm just telling you, ministry is not common. Here's how I say it. God created a lot of people, and He created a few pastors, and we're in charge of the rest of them, okay? Now, I don't mean we're masters. I mean we're trying to help them, all right? Sometimes we can have that attitude. We're one of them. And somehow in His grace and amazing ability, God lifted us, and, and through what He can do through us, He allows us to be a help to them. Don't ever get over that. You don't deserve the church you have. You say, you don't know my church. <laughs> you don't deserve it. You You don't deserve the salvation you have. We don't deserve the lives we have. God has just been good to us. And let's stop criticizing everybody we pastor, and let's stop wishing it were different here and wishing we had that there, and let's just appreciate and enjoy the opportunity to serve the Lord where we are with the people He's given us. Let's go soul winning and win somebody else to Jesus and add them to it, and let's give God Uh, Ask God for the grace to deal with the problems and to live through this season and to learn the lesson because, folks, I'm just telling you, it's a good deal. What God has done in our lives and what God has given us to do is a good deal. Let's do it with joy in our hearts. Thank you for listening. We hope that the Lord has used this message to speak to you. The R.E.S.T. Conference is a meeting designed to encourage and strengthen pastors, missionaries, evangelists, and their wives, along with other Christian workers serving the Lord in their local churches. R.E.S.T. 2022 is scheduled for September 5th through the 7th at the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. We hope that you and your spouse will make plans to be with us. For more information on R.E.S.T., please visit our website, therestconference.com.